Welcome into Isms That Cause Schisms, a ministry of Calvary Global Network. I'm your host, Celeste, and I'm joined in studio by Pastor Jeff Geip and Professor Brian Nixon, who in just a few here will be educating us on two of several great isms that are causing schisms, or as you might say, divisions, in our society and our churches. This episode, we're beginning discussions on religionism and humanism. And a quick housekeeping note so you know what you're in for. In each episode, our approach has been to pan out in three points, or in three parts, I should say. First, we direct ourselves to scripture. Second, define our terms. And third, enter into a discussion on the topics at hand. All right, let's hit the ground running on our first topic, religionism. Directing ourselves to scripture in Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 2, the author says, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth. So let your words be few. Cool. So I would like to stop talking now. (laughs) Jeff, please take it away and tell us what's going on in this passage. Okay. This may be one of my favorite passages in the Bible because it's something that every Christian really needs to take to heart. As you enter the house of God, Mm. how do you behave? And the whole thing that Solomon is saying here, hey, when you enter the house of God, listen. Mm. Listen to the words of God. God is in heaven. You're here on earth. So let your words be few. You know, one of the things that um, led up to this, this feeling is, at the church today, so many people are talking, talking, and they're not listening, listening. And you know, one of the one of the main themes through uh, the Old Testament is the Shema, which literally means listen. Deuteronomy chapter six: Listen, O Israel. You mm-hmm. know, when we think about, we are to be listeners of God, and that word doesn't just mean listen; it also means listen and obey, because God is in heaven. God knows what's happened in the past. He knows what's happening presently, and he knows what will happen in the future. So be quiet and wait for him to speak. (laughs) Do you provide lessons? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Brian, we're going to throw it to you now. Tell us about religionism and how that's tying into our discussion. And and, and religionism, in, in kind of a philosophical, definitional sense, is really connected to fundamentalism. It's this understood as one who practices a particular faith with with deep intensity, um, and a lot of times it accentuates action. Um, you know, you're doing, but in a nutshell, religionism is works based. Hmm. It's it is it is. I'm going to do this. I'm going to act. You know, I'm, I got to do X, Y, and Z in order to receive God's love. Or I've got to knock on so many doors or hand out so many tracks or I've got to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. So it is at its base a works-based understanding of faith. Um, you know, you could say it is aggression, you know, getting out there and doing it over anonymity, you know, of, mm-hmm. of just like allowing God, to, you know, to do it. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, it's doing and it's not necessarily being. Now, as believers, we are called to do, you know, go out, you know, and, and do. But it's based, we're saved unto works. And so I, I think religionism has a works 
based understanding. Yeah. Now, now, I think you could broaden that definition. Um, religionism can also mean, you know, my tradition. You know, oh, this is how we do things. And tradition's not a bad thing. You know, we, we all have family traditions. Everyone has a liturgy, a, a liturgical framework for their church. Even if they say they don't, they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, we have no liturgy. Oh, so it's chaos all the time? You know, you guys just come in and, and everyone does what they want to do? Well, no, we, you know, we start in prayer. Okay, so you do have, a, uh, you have an order because liturgy is just an order of service. Okay. So, so, you know, but what it, it does is it becomes very exclusionary at times. And what you find, particularly within Christianity, I'm, I'm not going to pick on other faiths right now. Okay. I'm just going to pick on myself and, and Christians, <laughs> yeah. is we do become very exclusionary. Hmm. And we lose sight over who's in control of the church, and that is Jesus Christ. And we think my particular view or my particular interpretation of a text is of the paramount most important thing. And that doesn't mean you can't believe something with deep conviction. You can. And I encourage all Christians to believe things with deep conviction. But in the non-essentials, don't punch your fellow believer. You know, with the essentials, you know, they're they're worth deep dialogue, discussion, and conversation. But in non-essentials, you know, be very careful. You know, I was teaching at Calvary College last night, and Jeff sat in the class and one of our, and we're, we're in the Reformation. And uh, uh, we, we had just finished Luther and we were getting into Zwingli, two early reformers. And a student stopped me in the middle and she said, so, so Luther and Zwingli had all these things in common, but they divided over communion? And I said, that's correct. Wow. And divisions have, you know, went over and over, over, you know, these, 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 I don't want to call them insignificant points, but these smaller points rather than keeping the center on Christ and, you know, the heart. So that is really religionism. It's when you are saying my position is the paramount one at the expense of everything else, because you're wrong and you're not going to listen to me or I don't care what you're having to say. Whereas I think the Christ-like, you know, the way we talked about in the acronym love is you have to listen. You know, and sure, you're going to offer your own thoughts humbly and say, here's where I'm at, but you've got a voice. Okay, here's here's where I see God's word. But yeah. at the end, you have to embrace him in Christ. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're fellow believers. We're on this journey together. You don't know all things. I don't know all things. And we're, we, we need to work together on this. Mm-hmm. And because you know, if there's one thing that Christ called the church to do is to be loving and unified. Right. And uh, at times we do a poor job doing both. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's funny to me too, how your phrasing of saying, you know, this is, this is the paramount view. It's my perspective. You'd think that would just be kind of like an inner thought that you wouldn't even say out loud. But these days I found myself saying something akin to that and things like that being said to me with an opposing point of view. And we're really just treating these non-essentials as essentials. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and, and let's just throw out, I mean, you know, because we have the time, you know, some, some topics that are very divisive in today's church world, it could be the Calvinism versus Arminianism debate. It could be what I already pointed out communion you know is it the real presence is it transubstantiation is it the memorials perspective um it could even be baptism you know do you baptize 
you know, sprinkle? Do you bap, do you dunk immersion? Do you baptize once or in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit three wow. times? All of these things. And and we could hold those views passionately, yeah. but we can never forget the person in whom we serve. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and you know, even beyond that, you know, we could talk about politics. Mm-hmm. I was sharing at a church not long ago, and um, I walked out before my teaching to my favorite place to go before teaching where they had the donuts. <laughs> and uh, just to get a donut and a cup of coffee about a half an hour before I was teaching, and this is a lovely church, and there was a bunch of the deacons, and I call them deacons because they were the guys, at the greeters, they were the mm-hmm. guys they were setting up, and they were standing around the donuts passionately talking about politics. And I mean, they were getting upset and I get, I get it. I get upset. I mean, I, I admittedly, I've thought about throwing my computer at the, (laughs) oh, out the window when I'm listening to some of this stuff, I get it. But when we're at church, you know, we need to be careful about the things that we discuss. Or even just as part of the church. We should just in general. Yes. Right. Because the reality is, and I know a lot of people wouldn't agree with this, there are Democrats and Republicans and Republicans in the Christian church. Yeah. And whether you agree or disagree, it's just a fact of life. Yeah. And that we need to, and I, that's what I love about here is because the politics or the, the talking heads, they're just saying all these words over and over and over mm-hmm. and over. And you're like, nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. And if you just sit down and listen, um, and I had a conversation with a guy not long ago that is a Democrat going to church. And I just sat down and I talked to him. I don't agree with some of the conclusions that he has. Mm-hmm. But what I realized is we're talking and listening to one another. Wow. And it was yeah. it was awesome. We both walked away hugging and embracing one mm-hmm. another, even though we're looking at things differently. And I thought, this this is how the body of Christ yeah. should look. Right. Because you put in the acronym of love. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. you know, love is the fruit of the spirit, but you did listen. You offered thoughts back and forth in humility and in respect for the person. And you voiced God's words. Well, here's what I, how I take it. But in the end, you embrace each other in Christ. And then I, I would even say, you know, the, the follow-up responsibility is maybe you feel very, very strongly, boy, that person's way off. Well, pray for him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pray. Start there. Yeah. Right. yeah. Just pray for him and, and continue to love him and continue to guide him. I remember, and I won't say his name, he's an art historian friend of mine from Southern California. He was part of the early Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. And he had become a Christian during the, the that Jesus movement days of the late uh, 60s, early 70s. And at the time, he was living with his girlfriend. And the guy that was discipling him and shared you know, the gospel with him um, didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And And my friend came and asked all these questions and so on and so forth. And rather than condemning him and giving him a list of 50 things he needs to do and not do, Mm -hmm. he just said, keep reading the book. The Holy spirit will let you know. And that's exactly what he did when he got to the part about, he goes, okay, I'm just going to keep reading the book. And then he got to the point where, you know, about purity, he said, Oh, I shouldn't be living with my girlfriend. I need to do. And it was a work of the spirit who was leading it versus here, here's, I, I wrote out 40 things you can't be doing now. And yeah. so it, yeah. it, it was in a way being spirit led. And Jeff and I both agree yeah. that many churches today or some churches, I don't want to, I don't want to condemn so many are more legalistically mm-hmm. led 
than they are spirit-led. Mm-hmm. It's a list of what we do or don't do. We're, we're, we're known more for what we're against yeah. than what we're for. And at times, I think if you just walk in the spirit, right. I'll say, Lord, just, just lead me in your grace and your truth and your love to have a compassionate heart, you'll see just beautiful things blossom. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I, I want to ask too, because, you know, we're talking about let's not avoid or let's not do these things. So instead of focusing on that negative space, like how do we focus, you know, what are some easy points for us to focus on, you know, the spirit and being spirit led? And, you know, you, you kind of laid some out already of just like, well, I'm not going to give them a list of to do's, but I am going to say, hey, you know what? You just stayed close to the Lord and I'm going to entrust that yeah. God's responsible over that, not me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think compassion, mm-hmm. you know, that word in a, in Exodus chapter 34, verse six, we, we have the first time we see the character of God or the attributes of God being described. And the first one is that God is compassionate. Mm-hmm. And uh, one one person, I think it was Tim Mackey, defined that wo- that word as being womb-like, hmm. and I thought that was such such a beautiful thing because there's a psalm that um, talks about um, that it's it's like the the love of a mother, hmm. you know, and we're to look at others with compassion, just as God looked at you and looks at me with compassion. We see that we're we're sinful, that we have faults that we don't agree on things, but we look at each other with compassion, just as we would our child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when my son was born, um, he was a brow baby. And so my wife was in labor for a long period of time. And um, a brow baby is when your head is extended up and your forehead is re- resting on the birth canal. Oh. And so she had ended up having to have a cesarean. Mm-hmm. And um, after the cesarean, uh, the baby was born and the doctor was holding and he, he laughed and said, he looks like E.T. I, I didn't think that was very funny because he had a big V in his head. Not funny. <laughs> Not funny at all. But then yeah. my wife took my son to her chest and held him. Yeah. And, and it was almost like she wanted to be in his place so she would not, that he would not have to experience the pain of childbirth. Mm-hmm. We're to look at people that way yeah. with compassion that, that they would not have to experience a life not being born again. Yeah. And the way we do that is through compassion. Love it. Thank you for, for laying that out too, because I feel like it's so, we have such an obvious mascot in scripture for people who are so intent on getting it right, which is a good intention. Mm-hmm. But we have the Pharisees who famously missed it mm-hmm. for a long time. And, yeah. and look at who Jesus had the harshest words for, yeah. were for the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the quote-unquote legalists. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we don't abide and obey Scripture principles, right. but I love what Jeff said. We have a compassionate and grace-filled heart. Love it. That's yeah. so good. And, you know, as you're, you guys have been talking, I'm seeing, you know, a very natural segue into our next topic uh, which is which is humanism, because as you're trying to find your balance for religionism, maybe you might be kind of swaying that way. I don't know. This is just my personal take. You're going to educate <laughs> us and let me know if that was even a correct statement to make. But let's dig into our scripture for our next topic, humanism. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 through 12. The author says, I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race, and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy. And those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. It is all decided by chance. 
by being in the right place at the right time. People can never predict when hard times might come. Like a fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by a sudden tragedy. Jeff, can you tell us about how you see this scripture and, and what's going on here? Yeah, Solomon is bringing in something that every single human experiences. That's why it's called humanism. <laughs> you know, it's human. Solomon sees that life seems so unfair, you know, that sometimes it doesn't work out the way that we think that it would, would work out. Um, and that we should continue to, you know, to do those things as hard, and work as hard as we can to accomplish the things that we want. But in reality, it doesn't work out the way we want. And that's why he's like, he's looking at life and he's seeing it's like, he, he says, like fish in a net or birds in a trap, people are caught by sudden tragedy. All of us have experienced that. Mo probably most of the people that are listening to us right now are going through a tragedy that they have to be asking, if God is a God of love, then why am I having to go through this? Yeah. You know? I hear you on that. So, Brian, can you lay out our second definition for humanism? Yeah. So, so humanism as a as a philosophical thought or a historical thought, primarily arising during the Renaissance, places the importance on human rather than divine or supernatural understanding. So, it was connected. If you recall um, earlier in one of our podcasts, we talked about intellectualism or. Um, you, you know, understanding divine uh, derived from reason only. Mm -hmm. So humanism is kind of an outgrowth of that. So they believe that humans, for the most part, are are good. Um, they they emphasize what are the needs of humans and how do we acquire those needs. And really, we should be thinking rationally about this and and not so much rely on God. Though it's okay if you still believe in God, but ultimately humans are the measure of all things here on society. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in the philosophical stance, humanism would say we start with humanity, human need and desires, as opposed to what, what are the divine needs and desires. Uh -huh. So there is in strict humanism a gulf, you know, between a theistic worldview, a, a worldview that looks to God and then one that looks to man. But you, you know, there's so many issues with that because then it comes into various forms of relativism. Well, if your truth's different from my truth and my truth's different from Jeff's and we're all trying to live in the same thing, we could live compassionately with grace. But ultimately, what if your truth is to punch guys with gray hair and still <laughs> steal my money? And then I go, well, that's funny because my truth is to hit tall redheaded women <laughs> and steal their purse. Oh no. You, you, you know, yeah. you, you see where it yeah. comes into conflict. So saying that humans, you know, we begin with humans, they're the measure of all things right. leads to inherent issues. So we have to have what another professor of mine called the law above the law. John Wark Montgomery wrote a mm -hmm. book called the law above the law. And ultimately in any human endeavors, we have to go to a law that's above the law. And that law would be, you know, would be biblical. And he would say, well, why would we pick the Bible over the Quran or, you know, the book of the dead or so on and so forth? Mm -hmm. Well, he would say it comes down to the resurrection. We have evidence that the book that we are purporting to, to believe and, and live out has 
evidence behind it. Someone rose from the dead. And so it's one of those things where we have to have a law above the law. And that would be a larger moral law based upon the evidence of the resurrection. Okay. Okay. So, Jeff, throwing things over to you now, with with that definition of humanism at play, what's your perspective on what this looks like and how it can, you know, the pros and cons, how it builds a stronghold in us or or, or things like that? What are, what are you thinking about? Yeah, you know, as Brian was was sharing that, I was thinking that, man, this really ties in to religionism mm. mm-hmm. because what he was saying is so true is that it, it's, it's, it's the human nature to fight, you know, to build, to, to, I can, I can do this. You know, we live in a very individual, uh, individualistic type society, mm-hmm. much different than the rest of the world, by the way, you know, our society is pull up your bootstraps, figure it out, Keep going, do this and do that. And though I don't disagree with that necessarily, when when we put all of our efforts, our human efforts to accomplish something, the point is that it may not work out the way that we want to work out with it. And so are we going to have peace? And I see this throughout the church, mm-hmm. you know. You know, another ism is pragmatism, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I call it... Um, the worship of what works. Mm -hmm. You know, if you do this and this and it works, oh, that must be from God. God doesn't work that way. (laughs) I mean, if he does, he probably owes Joseph an apology. That was just going (laughs) to say, by that reasoning, oh, man. Right? We're in trouble. And that's that's the heart of humanism is... Mm -hmm. Is that and I think where it seeps into the church, and I may be offending some some folks right now, and I in, in my my heart is not to offend okay. um, churches, but where it seeps into the church is when churches just become so focused on the felt needs of people, and they do surveys. Oh, this is what they need. They need they they want, and then you fill in the blank, yeah. and then they wrap their whole existence around the human felt needs. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we have to meet those felt needs and we we do have to um uh, understand the human condition but to have that as your center focus rather than our job is to focus on the law above the law or the good news of of christ and allow scripture to lead what humanism in the church does allows humans the human need Mm -hmm. to lead rather than the scriptural truth claims lead did did that kind of make sense? No, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes total sense. In 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 my world, that kind of just sounds like a marketing campaign, which is based off of we're just trying to win over our audience, you know, and that completely, you know, there's no position for the Lord right. or that higher law yes. of the law that you're talking right. about. What Brian's talking about is yeah. a reality. Yeah. There is actually surveys mm-hmm. that churches put out asking the needs, yeah. and to fulfill those needs. And in one sense, that's good. Yeah, totally. where it's bad is is that. What we what we want mm-hmm. and what we need are different. Amen. That's it right there. <laughs> Balance. That's exactly right. Yeah, I may want to know how to be a successful businessman, but what I really may need is to have a conversion experience and live my life Christ-likeness. Yeah. So, you know, wants and needs are two separate things. And so what I'm saying is when the church is so focused on the needs, yeah. needs and wants are not always the same. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, of course, everybody knows now that I'm a capitalist and love money. Um, <laughs> the truth is I have no money and 
I've never had so much peace in my life. Wow. Because that was the lesson I learned. I remember having this conversation with God. God, uh, if I sell my business and I sell my house, I could plant a church. I was thinking about up in the Sacramento area. I could plant a church up there. I could buy the church. I could I could hire a staff. We could just have like this great church. And you know what he's, God replied to me? Huh. Oh, well, that's good. Um, I guess you don't need me. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Because yeah. we need him. Right. I wanted to, do we have just a second? Oh, totally. Or, yeah. I wanted to read um, a quote from G.K. Um, G. Campbell Morgan about Solomon. And this is such a great quote. This man has been living through all the experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in which he had seen the whole of life. And there was something over the sun. It is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun as well as that which is under the sun that things under the sun are seen in their true light. Mm. And I just thought that's a beautiful way to sum up. Yeah, you know, and again, there is a delicate balance with, with, you know, humanism, if you will, because Again, I want to underscore and I want to overemphasize because I, I don't want people to think that, oh, that, that Nixon guy, he's uncompassionate. Yeah. There, we do want to, you know, seek out and meet needs. Right. But again, it comes back. And I love that you said that, Jeff. There's a difference between wants and needs. Right. And and so it's it's something that the church needs to be careful of. Yeah. And of course, you're talking to two guys who come from a Calvary background where we just are going to say, well, you just got to teach through the Bible, teach mm-hmm. through the Bible. And you're going to hit upon every single subject, every single topic. And that's true. But there are also times in our Christian life to pause and to dig deep into certain mm-hmm. needs or certain um, campaigns, if you will, and go, wow, there is a need in our community. So we're going to get behind it and we're going to try to meet that need. Right. But really it's the full gospel. It's the teaching of scripture that will ultimately touch upon all of those other things. Rather than focusing your whole attention just on the felt needs, it's to say, hey, we're going to give you the full full enchilada, if you will. A comprehensive approach, a balanced approach, if you will. (laughs) I was just thinking, you know, you're talking about, Jeff, these surveys that are sent out to churches asking what the needs are, what the felt needs are, which, you know, is, is not it's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to, to be right. in in to, step to with your people right. to sure. know where they're at. But, you know, with without that, again, you know, that teaching and in the, in the wants versus the needs actually being, you know, distinguished. So yes. I don't know. I, I appreciate that we're we're talking about finding balance. You know, we're not talking mm-hmm. about one or the other. So maybe that's would you say that's where the. Yeah, the, Next step is. I, and I think the yeah. balance is, you know, humans aren't the measure of all things. Ultimately, Christ is the yes. measure of all things. Yeah. Colossians would let us know that he's preeminent. So Christ is the measure of all things. And we find our place within God's economy mm-hmm. and, and what that means to, to live in within his providence, within his sovereignty, within his love and care. And and it is, it's a journey. It's, it's a walk in the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my... I'm going to call it my saying. Most most of my sayings I stole from someone else. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that, you know, God is really good at his work. Yeah. All we have to do is let him do it. Mm-hmm. That's what humanism says. I need to do it. 
I know mm-hmm. I can do it. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it, but God just wants us to wait on him. Um, the Proverbs say that God, or a man makes his plans, but God directs his path. Yeah. Is that Proverbs or Psalms? <laughs> it's it's. I think it's a, a little in both. You, yeah. you find echoes of it in both books. Yeah. And it's true. It's not bad to make plans. Right. But God, let God direct our paths. Yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah, I, I would say it's good to make plans, you know, at least to be prepared. Maybe that's just mm-hmm. me. But, you know, but to be listening and yeah. waiting for the Lord to redirect. Yeah. And God yeah. works supernaturally, naturally, yeah. you know, in yeah. your development, in your sermon preparation or whatever your plans are, he He could be working. So yeah. so sitting down and, and organizing, working something doesn't mean God's not present. You right. don't just shoot from the hip all the time. Yeah. But God is working supernaturally, naturally. And that's what providence is. Yeah. Great discussion as usual, gentlemen. And it looks like we've got our work cut out for us in addressing roots of religionism and humanism in our relationships, both divine and human. Uh, So grateful to have some of your quality time today for quality introductory discussions. And, you know, that's going to at least wrap up the main discussions on the isms for this entire series of isms that cause schisms. Uh, But we have one more discussion that we want to have with you to our listener. We hope you'll join us next time for our series conclusion. We're going to go a little more in depth on some biblical perspectives and conversation and kind of just talk about where to go from here. So thank you guys again for your time. Thank you for listening. Listener, I'm your host, Celeste, and we'll see you next time. The gospel is the hope of the world, and the world needs more gospel-centered churches. That's why Cultivate by CGN exists. I'm Clay Worrell, Executive Director of CGN, and I'm here with my friend, Pastor Nick Cady. We want to take a moment to let you know about the Cultivate Church Planter Training Program. Cultivate has created the infrastructure to support the planting of 1,000 new churches in the next decades, starting in 2023. We follow in the footsteps of renowned church planters in the Calvary Chapel movement, embracing and adopting their rich heritage of church planting in order to transmit our values, theology, and philosophy of ministry to this generation and for those to come. You know, as church planters ourselves, we understand that planting a church is not an easy task, but we believe it's an essential one. That's why we've created a range of resources to help you and your team prepare for the journey ahead. Our resources are personal, practical, and pastoral. Our program is from 6 to 24 months and is designed to equip you to lead a gospel-centered community wherever God has called you around the world. We also have a global team of mentors and coaches with thousands of hours of experience planting and pastoring churches, and they're ready to support you in the training phase, the launch phase, and in the post-launch phase of planting a church. With our guidance and support, you can feel confident in your ability to engage the world for Christ. Are you ready to answer the call of church planting? Together we can make a difference and bring the hope of the gospel to communities around the world. If you're ready to take the next steps and learn more about our church planting program, we invite you to visit our website at cultivatechurchplanting.com.